0: Welcome to the Self-Satisfied Podcast. I'm Britta. And I'm Cassie. So just a forewarning here. Today's episode is going to be about trauma. And while we're not going to go into graphic detail about terrible traumas in our lives, we are going to be talking about trauma. So if you are triggered easily, then there may be some parts you want to skip. I am going to do my best to include in the show notes when we are discussing specific instances of trauma so that you can skip over parts if you'd like, um, but just be aware going into this. So Cassie, how is your week? Uh
1: my week, oh, my week, Um, well, it wasn't great, I mean, it wasn't, like, the worst week, but I just, I'm kind of, like, mentally and physically exhausted with everything, and it's just one of those weeks where it's, like, everything's just kind of either bad or just, eh, right. I mean, there's a couple, there's a couple bright spots, I've got one, ready in my brain. What but- is
0: your bright spot?
1: Oh. Shit, maybe I don't have it ready. No, it's gone. It's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had to decide. (laughs) So my bright spot is that I got to reconnect with an old friend. So that was nice. Nice nice, that I hadn't seen in a while. Um, Yeah. Oh, and I got a tattoo. So two bright spots.
0: (gasps) Two bright spots. Yeah, that's a good week. Look at that. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: I mean, well, that was this was over the span of two weeks, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so two bright spots. Yeah, sense. there we go. How was your week? My week was fairly exhausting, so you know, we took took a week off, decided to shift the podcast to every two weeks and we kind of made an error in <laughs> the first leg of this, where we were just like, vacation, (laughs) and neither of us did anything regarding the podcast for a solid week. So now we're recording on a Tuesday and have to have it edited by Monday again. (laughs) We'll get better at it. It's fine. I am grateful that Thanksgiving is almost here and over because in grocery retail... This is our big, our big day and I'm required to work the five days leading up to Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So five 10 hour shifts in a row, coupled with being the five busiest shifts of our year, with the exception of 2020, where it was the, the pre pandemic. Two or three days mm-hmm. were insane. <laughs> uh I'm very tired. And my heart goes out to grocery store employees at places like Walmart or Meyer, where not only do they have to prepare for Thanksgiving and deal with all that rush, but then right after that they have to do Black Friday. Mm-hmm. Like that is statistically our slowest day of the year at because we don't put on any extra sales or anything. So, you know, bless the retail workers in the coming week who are going to work from 9 p.m. Thanksgiving evening to noon Friday. It's bullshit. I hate it for you, and I'm sorry. Well,
1: thankfully, my company is not open on Thanksgiving. They're one of those that's really... They're really adamant about making sure you spend time with your family on the holidays. But I am gearing up for Black Friday. Black Friday. And so I'm exhausted. I I feel ya, yeah. I am getting ready to be where you're at right now, and right, like, right. just three or four weeks, I'm gonna be dead. So dead yep. to the world. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so
1: yeah, and I've already, I've already. The holidays it. are great.
0: Yeah. How cheerful! How cheerful Yay, for retail hooray. workers. We love it. We love it.
1: <laughs> Let's be merry and bright. i'm also working like one overnight shift a week and then a lot of opening shifts and so my brain and my circadian rhythm is just just fucked
0: (laughs) yeah i don't mean to be dramatic and trigger warning here but i would literally off myself if i had to work overnight one night a week
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I could actually, not handle it. I like them because I can do a lot of stuff, but I.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel about closing shifts because my closing shift is from noon to 10. And since I'm not dealing with like stocking like I do when I work a seven to five, I can do so much more when it comes to merchandising or mm-hmm. cleaning or even my office work or whatever. But. Nah, I would rather die than be there until 10 p.m.
1: This is just a conversation at this point, isn't it? This is just like our normal
0: conversation. That's, that's the podcast. You deal with that's it.
1: true. So, Brenda, what's your bright spot?
0: So, I have two. My my little bright spot is that I found on TikTok a new way to wash my hair. So, <laughs> that's exciting for what? me. Um Yeah, so it's a method for people with curly or wavy hair where you wash it using a bowl of water instead of washing it in the shower like a Uh normal human. Uh And you basically, like, you wash it like normal, rinse it out, and then you put leave-in conditioner and your, like, curl cream and something else in it. And then you dip your hair into the bowl and then pull it out. Scrunch it up, dip it again, and you do that like three or four times. And the idea is that it like disperses the product better and dilutes it, so your hair looks more like natural, like not crunchy or greasy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, huh? It's pretty great. It sounds. I'm very excited about it. It sounds very. <laughs> it's I don't know. it's easier than I thought it was going to be. I did have to buy a big bowl.
1: Do you have to wash your hair often? If you do this method, because that's not going to work for me.
0: No, never. Never in a million years. (laughs) No. No, The girl that I learned it from, she only washes her hair twice a week. So Okay.
1: All right. I can get on that level. So,
0: So I do have to learn how to preserve my curls overnight. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll get there. Okay. Someday. (laughs) My bigger bright spot is my therapist, Hope who has, I'm going to say, gently pushed me to be more honest about how I'm doing, especially regarding information given to mental health professionals. And I realized that I was not really being honest on my assessments when I go to the psychiatrist every month or every few months to get my Adderall refilled. So this time I was, I'm not even going to act like I was, completely honest on the assessment but I was more honest (laughs) so I was like okay instead of all zeros and ones on do I have little or no interest in doing things or do I sleep too little or too much I you know a two maybe an occasional three and you know I I gave her my sheet and she was like wow what the hell has changed and I was like well I have been lying (laughs) (laughs) Uh You know, she was like, well, do you think that you feel this way now because everything that's going on? Like, I know you're dealing with a lot of shit. And I was like, mm, no, I've definitely been lying since I've started coming here for about five years, so it's <laughs> <That's laughs> pretty rough. And, always been terrible. And like the the last, right, the last question was something about, do you feel like, harming yourself or others or something to that effect and I put a zero and I told her I was like I literally had to think for like five minutes about how to answer that question and I was like because I don't I don't want to give the impression that I would hurt myself. Like, I'm not going to. And I'm like, but sometimes I think it wouldn't be so bad if a bridge just collapsed Mm -hmm, under me mm -hmm. and it was all over now. You know, (laughs) like, that would be a pretty easy chill path for me. And she was like, you know, asking questions about the severity of these thoughts. And I was like, well, it's not like, like, I feel like I've had suicidal ideation before in the past where I would like actually envision or fantasize about ways to end my life myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm going to put a shotgun in my mouth, whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's not that severe. I was like, I don't ever think I want to drive my car off the bridge. I just want something terrible to happen <laughs> occasionally. And she's like, how long ago were these thoughts about the shotgun? And I was like, oh, like 2014, 2015. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you a fucking patient of mine then? And I was like, all zeros on that assessment at that point. Um, So, needless to say, she has decided that I do likely have a bit of depression and put me on medication. And I'm... Newly into it, like I've only been on it for roughly a week, mm-hmm. and it takes a while to build up and really take effect. So I don't feel like I'm just winning at life, but I feel good. I feel like I'm not making major changes and shifts, but I feel a little more motivated now. Nice. So
1: okay. good. hopefully
0: that sticks mm-hmm. and I make changes soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice, nice.
1: I feel like my meds are starting to regulate, which is what. Nice. I was, I think last episode I was talking about how we were mixing them up a little bit and I was coming off of one of them and I was like, everything is terrible.
0: <laughs> so yeah. there's
1: always that, like, there's that new, I don't know, that new phase whenever you're trying a new medicine right, or whenever right. you're coming off of one or whatever.
0: I had therapy last night and. I noticed while I was talking to her, I had it right after work. And I noticed while I was talking to my therapist that I was, like, really fucking jazzed up. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. just super energetic. And I was like, the first word that came to mind was, I'm feeling a little bit manic. Feeling a little bit, like, way up there at this moment. And so I kind of, I googled the side effects and stuff. And it did say that mania is one of the more dangerous... side effects of this medication because it could be a symptom of serotonin syndrome I guess so I'm like okay well I'm I'm just newly on it so let me give it a full week or two see how it goes if this does not wear off if I'm still feeling like a little bit too much then maybe I'll call and and make sure that I'm not about to kick the bucket because you know I guess hey does that mean I don't want the bridge to collapse into the medicine is. (laughs) Oh, you <laughs> it's working. <laughs> All right. So today's episode is a big one. We are spilling the teas and we're going to talk about trauma what it is, how it affects us, how to treat it, our experiences, some other people's experiences. So, first, we're going to talk about the difference between a big T trauma and a little T trauma. Big T traumas are generally what you think about when you think about a trauma. So if somebody says, I have trauma in my life, these are the things that come to mind, like serious, life threatening, may cause bodily harm kind of traumas it's also known as acute trauma and it's more commonly associated with trauma and ptsd and includes events with a threat of injury or death or sexual violence it can include just threats of actions that might lead to those things or witnessing the events that caused them it can even include witnessing the aftermath of those events like people that work in mental health hospitals, or first responders. They leave the individual feeling powerless and like they don't have enough control in their environment and with a sense of helplessness. These kinds of traumas are pretty easily recognized as traumatic by both the individual that experienced them and anyone that's aware of their experience. Things like natural disasters, sexual assault, combat, shootings, serious accidents, etc. Generally, people are unable to handle all the strong feelings and process the situation in a timely manner, so they do things to avoid the subject like refusing to talk about their time in the military, avoiding court dates or calls from investigators regarding the event, avoiding people altogether... Generally speaking, the negative side effects are more severe the longer one avoids things in this manner and goes without treatment. In the words of MGMT, just know that if you hide it, it doesn't go away.
1: So, a little t trauma is a highly distressing event that affects individuals on a personal level but doesn't fall into the big T category. So, these can also be known as personal stressors, um, and it's different for each person, um, kind of based on your capacity to handle um, that stress. But some examples of this include. Essentially, any event or ongoing situation that causes distress, fear, or a sense of helplessness, non-life-threatening injuries, such as dealing with the daily effects of chronic illness, like MS or fibromyalgia, death of a pet, bullying or harassment, breakups or loss of a significant relationship, especially if it's a messy breakup, job changes, unplanned expenses. And then there's also relational trauma, which this kind of goes back to attachment traumas that we discussed in our first episode. So if you haven't listened to that and relate to this, I definitely recommend going back and giving it a listen. But this is a trauma that can manifest in your childhood, where a child's sense of love is disrupted, physical or emotional abandonment or neglect occurs. Parent or caregiver is preoccupied with their own emotional needs or partner's needs or the needs of a sibling. Too much attention without proper boundaries. This is known as emotional enmeshment where the parent or caregiver relies on the child to meet their own emotional needs or is too involved in emotional life. Um, And often this relational trauma is the result of parents or caregivers' own untreated relational trauma creating a cycle of generational trauma. Essentially, everyone has their own unique capacity for how they handle stress and difficult situation, which impacts how each person copes with trauma. So understanding little t's require us to focus on how each individual is affected instead of focusing on what actually happened, the actual events. The point is not to compare one person's trauma to either your own or someone else's because it isn't ultimately about the severity of the event itself, but how your brain processes it. While one little t is not likely to cause significant distress, multiple compounded traumas, especially in a short span of time, Or during a particularly formative time when the brain is still developing. So if you're in childhood or adolescence can lead to trouble with emotional functioning and the development of certain trauma responses. I found a lot of contradictory professional opinions on whether an excessive amount of little T traumas can cause PTSD or not, but experts do seem to agree that they can certainly contribute and be a risk factor in developing PTSD after a traumatic event. Regardless of whether these events meet the criteria for PTSD diagnosis or not, they can still be extremely upsetting and cause significant emotional damage, particularly if an individual experiences more than one event or if these traumas occur during important periods of brain development. Like we had said earlier, essentially the brain stores traumatic memories differently. This is also known as somatic memories, which we'll go into a little bit later, regardless of the severity of the event. So these events that occur can be so overwhelming that our brains don't process them completely at first. Psychotherapist Sarah Staggs compares it to the difference between putting canned goods away neatly on the shelf versus shoving everything in a cabinet and slamming the door shut in a hurry. She also says there is any other type of event which exceeds our capacity to cope and can be stored as trauma. To some degree, it doesn't matter what propels us into fight, flight, or freeze mode but only that the event was experienced and then stored that way. Your brain processes immediate threats by going into different modes. There's fight, flight, freeze. There's also fright where you're Fear takes over, helplessness, and it reduces your ability to think clearly. There's flag, where body systems shut down and can result in numbing of emotions, which is also commonly referred to as shock. And in extreme cases, there's faint, which is exactly what it sounds like. The nervous system cannot always distinguish between an actual threat to physical safety or an emotional or mental threat. And this is why little T traumas can have a similar effect on the brain as large T traumas. So if you experience a barrage of little T traumas, your body is stuck in a constant state of hypervigilance to prepare prepare for the next incoming trauma. There is
0: one more response that I know about, too, that's called Fawn. Yes. And I think essentially what Fawn is when you break it down is you trying to protect yourself by... What's the word I'm looking for? Like... Basically it's people pleasing, right? Yep. Like mm-hmm. when you when you fawn you're trying to there's a fucking word I'm looking for here. You're trying <laughs> to something to your abuser. Like appeal? Kind of. Yeah, you're trying to appeal to your abuser. You're you're saying, "Hey, no, look, I'm easygoing. I'll do whatever you want. You don't have to hit me or yell at me mm-hmm. or starve me or whatever. And you know, this could be to your parents or a partner or whoever. But it's basically just if I am, quote unquote, well behaved enough, if I'm, quote unquote, good enough, Mm
1: -hmm. then
0: they won't hurt me anymore. And that's, that's one that I feel like definitely plays later, like you hear about people who are like serially in abusive relationships, mm-hmm. and from what I've seen, basically the theory on that goes is because they are in that fawn trauma response, mm-hmm. and it's like abusers can sense that, you know? Right, they're right, like, right. "All right, right, this is somebody I can go after. I know that they're susceptible to this because yes. they're showing me these behaviors." Um,
1: I think Fawn, like, Fawn is definitely, um, because I've looked into that, and I actually was going to add it to this, too. But it seems like it's one that's more aligned with, like, big T's, but I think there's little T's that it could apply to, too, because it's typically, like, abusive relationships, right?
0: Right. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's. I think that would be the... Because, I mean, if you're in a, a big T trauma situation, say you were out drinking and you're assaulted, mm-hmm. like, that's probably not a situation where your brain would think... If we were nicer to that guy, you know right. what I mean? Like, <laughs> but, but if it's your parents who, you know, treat one sibling perfectly fine, mm-hmm. like a child called it situation right. where one kid was terribly abused and the other children weren't necessarily in the same fashion, you think, okay, well, if I can be what they want me to be, mm-hmm. then I can get myself out of this situation.
1: Right. Well, I guess. In a less extreme case of that, it could also apply to relational trauma, too, because relational trauma isn't always something, it's not you being abused, really, it's just you not having your needs met in a certain way, so you could be Mm -hmm. fawning to get that, so yeah, okay. So there's evidence now that concludes that repeated exposure to little T traumas can cause more emotional harm than exposure to a single big T traumatic event. Empathy and acceptance for the impact of little T's can be harder to garner because of the common misconception that these events are less significant than, like, say, a life-threatening emergency. However, minimizing... The impact of these little t incidents can create an adverse coping behavior or mechanisms such as bottling up emotions, um, or attempting to manage symptoms without support and failing to address the emotional suffering of any traumatic event may lead to cumulative damage over time. There's also a lot of contradictory opinions on what is considered a little t versus a big T. Some of the sites that I visited listed emotional abuse or deaths of a loved one as little t's while others considered them both big t traumas i think that's just honestly dependent on each individual and the circumstances or the severity of traumatic events for example i would consider personally emotional abuse in the past to be a big t trauma for me and like when my dad, the death of my dad felt like a big T trauma because it was so sudden and unexpected and he was younger, but the deaths of my grandparents would kind of fall more towards the little T category. However, those events may still be a big T trauma for my mother who witnessed the loss of her parents, regardless of whether it was expected because it was expected on both with both of them. However, that could still be traumatizing.
0: Yeah, I think it depends on like like especially with something like emotional abuse. And like you said, like mm-hmm. with the death of a loved one. It depends on the role of that loved one's it, right in your life. Right. You know? And then when it comes to like emotional abuse, it would be the the depth and severity of that emotional abuse. Like me not getting my needs met by my parents, but still knowing that they care about me is a totally different trauma than somebody who has a spouse who is belittling them and degrading them and, you know, emotionally abusing them. Like, that's a big T.
1: But you also have to think, like, the not getting your needs met, regardless of whether that's considered a little T or not, doesn't make it any less than someone else being emotionally belittled
0: or whatever, they're right. still traumas. <laughs> like they're all still right. I think I think the difference is I guess I it feels like it's different because when you're in a marriage, technically you could leave anytime. Right. And so maybe there's more guilt associated with it as a big T too. Like more like you're blaming yourself kind of. Mm-hmm. Like I could see how that would be a a form of trauma on its own. To think, why did I stay for so long, or why did I get in that relationship, or whatever. Whereas, like with my parents and a little t trauma, like there was no why did I choose my parents, or why didn't I move out of my house at ten years old? You know what I mean? Right. Like <laughs> I could not do that. It was just okay. I'm dealing with it the best I can. And obviously this isn't to say that there's any blame on somebody who, you know, chooses a shitty partner or stays with a shitty partner. Everybody has their reasons and we can never know what those are. But I don't know, maybe that plays into well the that, severity of it.
1: That plays that also kinda of plays into something that I was wanting to talk about, which goes along with trauma bonds. Because Mm -hmm. I, and speaking as somebody who has been in those relationships, yeah, it's, it's a lot easier to be outside of that and say that, why don't you just leave? But when you're in that emotional, I mean, you're kind of in that fawn stage too, like you were talking about, it's, it's much harder because you're constantly thinking they're going to change.
0: Right. Um, and it comes back to that attachment style, too, like mm-hmm. where, like, I remember you saying how you want to fix people, you know, and you think, mm-hmm. I can love this out of them. Or in the case of a lot of abuse, like, it starts with love bombing, and they're this wonderful, right. sweet, affectionate partner, and you spend 5, 10, 20 years thinking, I just have to figure out how to love them hard enough to get them right. back to that. Right. So, um. 100% understandable, for sure. Right, right,
1: right. And, like, essentially, when you have, like, a trauma bond with somebody, what happens is, I guess, Stockholm Syndrome is, like, a, is an extreme version of it. But if you can imagine, like, ever I think just about everyone knows what Stockholm Syndrome is. It's like that, but in your daily life. I don't know. But basically, like, you get sympathetic for this person because they're abusive to you. And then they're very, very remorseful. And then I'll I'll never do it again. I love you so much. I just did it because I love you. And I just did this because I don't want you to leave me or something like that. And then you're like, Oh, but he does love me a lot. And if I do leave, what if, what if he hurts himself or something like that?
0: Yeah. It's terrible because the more empathetic you are, the harder it is to get out of that trap. Mm -hmm. Because you think... Like somebody like me. I... (laughs) My therapist says. (laughs) You know, I excuse everybody else's behavior. Because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they do this thing that hurts me because of a trauma they experienced. Or because of an anxiety they have or whatever. So I will, you know, shift the blame like... It's not them, it's the things that are hurting them that are causing this. And, you know, maybe I can make that go away. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I have been fortunate enough personally to have not, you know, been with somebody who harmed me in that fashion, but like I could definitely see from a victim of domestic abuses perspective where it would be easy to think I could I could make it better. And it would stop eventually.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, I'm glad you brought that up because that that definitely was something I wanted to mention. Yeah. So. And, hey, um,
0: guys, you know what? Trauma bonding is not just where you and somebody else has similar trauma and bond over it. Which is what it, we thought it was. <laughs> maybe what we thought it was <laughs> for a long time.
1: Yeah. And bad. we're like, oh, we, we're trauma bonded. Nope, we're not. Uh, <laughs> <that's>, we're just... <laughs>
0: We're just-, <laughs> we're just sad together. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to talk a little bit about our own personal experiences and how they've affected us. And we've gone into a lot during the attachment episode. Mm-hmm. So mine is pretty short because I feel like I've covered most of it. Um, I don't have any trauma that I would consider a big T. I just feel like my whole childhood was a little bit turbulent and chaotic. I never, eh, I won't say I never felt unsafe in my home, but they were, they were outstanding incidents. Um, there were definitely some standout fights between my parents or my parents and my brother where I thought somebody would get hurt. We. <laughs> We only had one door in my house because most of them had been broken in fights. So the bathroom door was the only door that we had that was consistently standing in our house. Um but mostly my trauma just stems stems from living in an angry household. My parents never really set out to hurt me, but they both came from various traumas themselves. And with those being unresolved, those passed on to me. Like Cassie had mentioned with generational trauma, there's a few ways that generational trauma manifests like there's actual genetic components to it like when people that were involved in something like a concentration camp their great grandkids will have naturally higher levels of cortisol but there's also generational trauma where like my parents just you know they went through much worse things than I ever did so the things that I didn't learn from them Like, we talk about breaking the cycle a lot. Like, we want our kids to be emotionally healthy, happy children. We want them to feel safe and loved. And my parents may not have totally broken the cycle, but they sure as hell chipped away at it. You know, like, my parents did not abandon me on a landfill at any point in my toddlerhood, like some parents might have. And there was no, you know, sexual... Uh, molestation in my childhood which you know some of my parents may have experienced like they went through a lot worse and they did better than their parents (laughs) but uh there were just skills that they didn't have so they could not pass those skills on to me and Because of that, there are skills that I don't have that I am not passing on to my children. So the idea is that I learn those skills now before my children are at the age where those are going to deeply impact them. So I can teach them those skills now. And when they're adults and they're dating and whatever, then they, they will be healthier than I am. I definitely have an unhealthy view on romantic relationships. My dad was really, really jealous and possessive. So anyone trying to set a boundary I see is even remotely controlling, like, uh, like say I have a male friend and they're like I'm not comfortable with how much you talk to them like it makes me a little nervous and I'm I'm like well fuck you buddy I'll talk to whoever I want to (laughs) luckily in my adult life I have not dated any jealous people but I feel like that is one of those things where I don't even know if I would give them an opportunity to explain like I don't need you to cut contact with them like I'm just looking for some reassurance I'd be like you're not gonna tell me who to talk to and, and how to talk to them and I also don't set boundaries for fear that i might. Myself And being controlling. So like I'm on both sides of that coin where I will not let somebody treat me like my dad treated my mom. But I also don't ever want to even close come to how my dad treated treated my mom. So if uh, somebody is doing something or not doing something that I feel like I need, I always chalk it up to, well, that's just how they are and I can't change it because that would be controlling of me. So if if I need, you know, more affection or date nights or for them to, you know, not text on their phone during dinner or whatever, I would never say anything because I feel like that's not me just stating my needs or telling them that it makes me feel a certain kind of way. It's me trying to control them and be jealous and possessive or whatever um i also didn't learn how to approach problems in a relationship properly my parents just approached them by screaming at each other and i am so scared that expressing my feelings will lead to a partner or even worse myself blowing up and yelling or getting violent that i'd rather just deal with shitty treatment
1: so can i be perfectly like I don't know if this is brutally honest or not, but can I be perfectly honest with you? So, when I was researching all of, like, the little T's and big T's and everything, which obviously, like, I I was researching more the little T's, but I was reading about both. And one thing that kept popping up was in the big T area, like you had said, people who witnessed this and who had witnessed, like, big T's, like... And that includes domestic abuse or uh, volatile relationships and stuff like that, too, would fall under that category. So I think, like, a lot right. of times that you downplay your... <laughs> me? I your would never.
0: Traumas,
1: <laughs> Your traumas because you're like, mine wasn't as bad as this one. Or, yeah. Mine, I didn't live it because my parents had it worse, or mine, and, like, this has been something that we've talked about, too, where it's, like, you're, like, I don't have as big of traumas as you do. Well, that doesn't, like, that doesn't mean your traumas weren't big, because they were, and it doesn't mean that they're, which... There's nothing wrong with having a bunch of little t traumas either, but
0: I think your trauma right. is
1: bigger than you.
0: Maybe, it. maybe it's a little a larger. Little I feel larger. like you downplay
1: well, it a lot.
0: Right. That's a, I remember, I think it was me and you that were talking to my cousin about this, who I grew up mm-hmm. down the road from, and uh, I had said something about not accepting that I had any trauma for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. I always said that it, I wasn't, like, my childhood wasn't great, but I was. I didn't have trauma. Right. Um, and she said, That's funny because I remember you running to my house with your shoes in your hand and a bathrobe screaming because your dad was about to shoot your mom.
1: Right. Right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and I was like, Ah, that's a pretty that's a pretty big one. <laughs> like Yeah, and like
1: so listen, that's not a little tea like it <laughs> right,
0: means. Like Right. Right, yeah. No, and, and like that's exactly um. That's exactly what Hope says, like, when we talked a couple weeks ago, and, you know, we were talking about my marriage, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I tend to say, like, like, I don't, I genuinely don't think that David is a bad person, like, right, period. Right. I, I, I think that at least he's no more of a bad person than I am, <laughs> you know? Like, we're at, at, at worst on the same level. Mm-hmm. Um. But, like, she was like, but you have to accept that, like, you didn't ruin this relationship on your own. Like, there were shitty things that he did, too, you know? Right. You can be angry about some of those shitty things. And, uh, and like, that was basically her point was that I look at these things and I I, like I said earlier, I give people a reason <laughs> when we were right. talking about being in an abusive relationship. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm very sleepy and I can't word right now. <laughs> I... I rationalize what they're doing based on their, you know, past or whatever. And I'm empathizing with them so hard that I'm like, maybe I realize that it's not my fault that they're treating me this way. Like, I'm not blaming myself for it, but I'm not blaming them either. And when it comes down to it, just like while my trauma is the reason that I was unable to be vulnerable and intimate in my relationship that still falls on me. That's not, that's not, I can't be like, well, sorry, our marriage is ruined. Blame my mom and dad. That's not how life works. So you can't, you know, say, sorry, my childhood was ruined, but blame your grandparents either. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a very good point.
1: Yeah. So I just want to say that admittedly, this topic and researching this was a little triggering for me and there's some of things that I'm going to mention when I talk about my traumas that may be triggering for other people which include domestic violence and sexual abuse and stuff like that too so if, if you are triggered by that and in those situations like we had said before maybe just skip this part so honestly I have some pretty big T traumas that I don't really feel comfortable going into on a public forum. And I, I mean, maybe I'll get there someday, but right now I just, I'm not going to go into all of them. I also admittedly did not realize that my life or my past experiences were as fucked (laughs) up or as traumatizing and impactful as they had been until after I went to therapy because I was like I knew I had bad stuff happen but the moment that I shocked my therapist was when I was like "Oh. Oh, oh oh that's not that's not normal okay when I was telling her everything so I will say that without going into too much detail I can share like that my first memory is of sexual assault by someone who I trusted, that I was close with, and I didn't realize that was bad until after I saw my parents' reaction, and honestly, for years, I didn't, I didn't think that that was, I didn't think it was a big deal until much later in my life. I think, honestly, there's that, and then there's been some other things that I'm not gonna go into that Involved sexual assault in my, more my early adolescence. I think that created a really unhealthy relationship with sex and maybe intimacy and stuff like that. So, whereas I kind of felt like maybe I owed it to people. Which isn't healthy. You do not owe your body to anyone. Took me a very long time to realize that. We've talked about my father. We've talked about my childhood. So everyone's kind of... In the loop on that. And if you're not, just listen to every other episode. <laughs> he comes up a lot. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. But when I was 12, he was incarcerated. So my dad was a an alcoholic and drug addict. You know, I spent a lot of my life missing. And... There was times when, like, we used to go to church and stuff when I was younger, and I would pray at night. And, I, like, the only thing I can remember praying for was that my dad was safe. When I was 12 years old, I remember we stopped at a gas station, and my mom got... I can't remember if she had gotten a phone call or if she had... or if my uncle was there. I don't know. I want to say she got a phone call from my uncle and she stepped out of the car and she's in the back and i hear her kind of gasp a little bit and the first thing i thought was okay my dad's dead like oh, great <laughs> i didn't have that response but yeah i was i was terrified because i was like um he's like he's dead or something and then she came back into the car and she told us your dad's in prison so he was arrested for having large quantities of meth on him i i don't remember all of it like i think he was dealing it possibly but i was younger i kind of blocked out a lot of it but i remember a lot of times where it was like constantly for two or three years where i was going back and forth like that's the only time i consistently saw my dad for the first time since i was maybe six years old was when he was in prison (laughs) like so that's pretty that was pretty traumatizing to me, and then I feel like just a lot of his, like, drug abuse and alcoholism, one, I still blame that on his death, and I feel like I became a lot more straight-edge after he died, too, where I'm like, I don't want to drink ever. And I mean, I'll, I'll like, partake occasionally in, like, a glass of wine or something, but I will not allow myself to get drunk. And... I think in my experience, a lot of times if you grow up in that situation, you typically tend to take one of two paths and neither one is the wrong one because it's just like addictions, not something that you can really control. I mean, obviously, like if you do drugs, okay, but if you're addicted to it, like that's that's a disease and it's definitely something that can be how am i trying to word this i'm trying to make it so i'm not an asshole and i'm not like judging people am i doing okay I think it comes off that okay way. Yeah. but anyways addictions a disease and a very real one so but i think typically if you grow up in that environment you either go from one extreme where you end up in that cycle and you become an addict yourself or an alcoholic yourself because that's what you you've seen and that's what you've grown up with and no or you take the other extreme where it's like I am going to do everything I can to not be that. Um and that's that's the one I took.
0: Yeah, I think it's that way for a lot of parental trauma, you know. Right,
1: right. Yeah. Like with
0: relationships, like I tried to be the polar opposite of what my mm-hmm. parents were yeah. and yeah. I feel like my brother just saw that as what a relationship was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we definitely took different paths on how we approach a relationship. And I wouldn't say neither of us are wrong. I would say neither of us were right. (laughs) Neither of us did it correctly. (laughs) And maybe it's the same case with addiction. Mm -hmm. If you're going completely to where you're like, I don't ever want to let go because I'm so scared that I will become an addict Mm -hmm. or... You just say, well, no, this is just how adults are. Right. Neither of those is necessarily the correct path. All things in moderation, including right. arguing and not arguing, <laughs>
1: right, right, drinking
0: right. and not drinking, etc. Right.
1: And I just, I really, I really took it to the extreme. Not that I've never been like somebody who's done those things Regularly, Britta knows. Listen, me we anymore. all had 2006. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. We, there was 18 19 year old Kathy and Britta
0: that, that definitely partook in a lot of things. They were waiting for the bridge to collapse in right. a major way. Okay. Right.
1: We, were, we, were, we were drinking
0: until uh, and hoping
1: that everything would collapse.
0: We were taking jackhammers to the bridge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I think. But I think when I became a parent, and especially more so after my dad died, I just kind of became the extreme where I'm like, I'm not going to touch anything, and I'm scared to. Um, And I, like I said, I will drink a little bit, like one glass here and there. But if I start feeling slightly buzzed, I'm like, nope, nope, not going to do that. Or if I start enjoying it, I'm like, nope, nope. Can't have right. can't have that because if I enjoy myself then I'm going to become addicted. I guess that's the effect
0: that's created. Yeah, I I I can see that too, because like I feel like there are times I'm literally have like six hard seltzers in my fridge mm-hmm. right now. And because of how I'm feeling, like I know I'm not my best self right now. I'm right. sad and upset with life. Like I literally won't let myself drink one at night to relax because I'm like, what if I'm relaxed? And like, now I know that's my way to relax. And Mm -hmm. then I'm drinking six a night. And before you know it, I'm, you know, addicted. So yeah, I could see that Right, right. Exactly.
1: And then I've also gone through domestic abuse. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on that because it's in the past, it's definitely something that my ex has made his amends for, but that doesn't stop the fact that it has had an impact on me. And I think that really, there's a lot of things that I kind of brought from that relationship into my marriage because I was so scared of how he would react because of my first husband's reaction to certain circumstances and stuff like that. Like, I think that definitely played an impact on my future relationships and how I go into them, how I interact with others and like how I get scared of if they'll get mad, like what their reaction will be if they're mad at me. And even though my last husband, he was not somebody who was violent or angry or anything like that, but I would still have that fear there. And like I said, I've forgiven my ex for all of that and he's made his amends. I don't hold any hard feelings, but it still has an impact.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it, Like, you go into a relationship assuming that it's going to be what you want in a relationship, right? Like, especially if you're married Mm -hmm. or whatever. And then when there's violence or emotional abuse, like, that breaks a trust not only between you and that Mm -hmm. person, but it's going to make it harder for you to trust people in the future.
1: And then, and then, there's more. (laughs) But wait, there's more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love how we're just like laughing, and then we're like, and then also,
1: <laughs> everything is awful, <laughs> like that. <laughs> we laugh through the pain, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? That's funny because I told I told my friend that I had said something about some some trauma in my past, like. Oh, no, I was talking to him about, like, kids and about, like, how he wanted to be there for his kids. And he was, like, just really involved in their lives and stuff. And I was like, I mean, honestly, that's that's really great. That's, that's a wonderful thing to have. And he's like, I think that's how people are supposed to be. He said, anyone who has a kid should be like that. And I was like, well, you're literally talking to somebody whose dad was the opposite of that. And then I ended it with LOL. <laughs> then he's like, um, that's not an LOL.
0: I'm like, eh, Are you LOLing eh, right now? Eh, Why are you LOLing? I'm going to
1: LOL all the time. I just laugh. That's, that's my coping mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so another major trauma was when my daughter my youngest daughter she was born at four days old she was lifelined and the doctor had set us down and essentially told us you just kind of have to take this day by day moment by moment we don't know if she's going to make it and it doesn't look great so I mean and that that was terrifying like that was uh and I think any parent would just be petrified and traumatized by that event. Thankfully, she pulled through and she made a miraculous recovery, but it's still I still had a lot of anxiety from that and I still kind of do, maybe not as much as I did that first year. That first year I was a fucking mess. And I clung to her so much because I I was like still kind of still kinda of had that fear there because I was, you know, like I had been scared that she wasn't going to make it. And I was sitting there in the waiting room, essentially thinking, how am I going to plan my child's funeral? And that was that was pretty scary. And then right after that was when my dad died. Right after she got out of the hospital. So those two things happening one after another I would say, made me extremely traumatized. That was the first time I had actually gone on antidepressants, finally, because I was to a point where I was going to kill myself. I remember taking a bath and looking at the hairdryer, just thinking it would be so easy. Just, it would be so easy. Just grab it. So that was the moment when I actually went on antidepressants. So that had a big... That really fucked me up. (laughs) Right. So I'd say out of all of these traumas, I still have a lot of little T's that have impacted me as well. Being bullied when I was a kid and my needs weren't always met because my mom had her own issues going on and she was concerned with this and that with my dad or with work. She was a single mom. So things like that all compounded with the big tease that I had going on really messed with me to the point where I I have some pretty serious issues with emotional regulation and and just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me.
0: (laughs) We're still figuring out the effects here. But I have some
1: pretty serious, you know, PTSD from all of this. And it's, it's really, yeah, it's not fun to deal with. It's not great, (laughs) but all of this, like, as I was saying earlier, I don't want anyone to hear my story and think, okay, my life was better than that because that doesn't matter. All of these things happening to me doesn't make me more resilient than Britta or doesn't make me more resilient right. than somebody who had something completely different or something that they think is less than what happened in my life. It, it right. doesn't. My trauma is my trauma and it affected me just like your trauma affected you and it's still valid.
0: Like you said, you can't say that you're weak or a baby or a sissy or whatever word you want to use to describe it because your parents yelling affected you the same way as somebody else's parents beating them. Right. You were still not treated the way that you should have been treated. And that's the point here. (laughs) You were not cared for in the way that you should have been cared for. And, you know, that's what it comes down to is we need that love and support from the people who are supposed to give it to us, including ourselves. Right,
1: exactly. You know, one thing that I, um, well, you hear a lot when you're talking about trauma um, is, well, that made you stronger or your trauma made you Mm -hmm. stronger. No, my trauma did not make me stronger.
0: (laughs) My trauma fucked me up. I would have been strong anyway, but I would have been strong and had a secure attachment. Thank you. (laughs) And I
1: think... mm, like me overcoming, I I mean, I'm, I still haven't overcome a lot of that trauma. Um, but me overcoming that and living through that doesn't make me stronger than someone else. And I think like, I just, I just hate that phrase so bad. Like I really do because I'm
0: like, and I think, I think 99% of people with either little or big traumas would agree that they don't, Feel like it made them stronger. Right. It they feels like they had to take on unhealthy coping mechanisms mm-hmm. to deal with it. Yeah. And it made them unhealthy. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: <laughs> like, exactly. So, I, and I mean, I, I understand because I feel like there's been times where I've said, yeah, I'm a strong person because of all I've gone through. Um
0: I don't want to be resilient. Yeah. I want to be healed. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I think that's something that society just kind of teaches us, but I I think it's a really messed up. (laughs) It's it's Mm -hmm. something that we need to fix as a society. Guys, stop saying that to people, please.
0: (laughs) Please. Uh, We also had a listener share their story with us, so I just wanted to read that real fast. I'm just going to read this first person like they wrote it. They said that my father was the child of an abusive alcoholic. Are you rationalizing? (laughs) Uh, Like Britta does. (laughs) His coping mechanism was to join the Marines. When I was born, I became one of the targets of his rage. He punched holes in doors and walls. He threw my mom across the bedroom when she tried to stop him from hurting my younger brother. Whenever he heard or thought he heard me raising my voice, I got hit. Occasionally, I was punched to the floor honestly the fact that i still have my original teeth is shocking when it wasn't physical abuse it was psychological abuse when i won a scholarship to a dance academy at age six he begrudgingly allowed me to attend but wouldn't let me continue when my scholarship ran out his reasoning for this was homophobic thinking that it would make me gay or a sissy neither he nor my mother particularly cared that my dance classmates made fun of me because i was the only boy in the class When my grandpa died, his father, I struggled with managing my grief. My dad told me to get the chip off my shoulder. A few months later, I attempted suicide for the first time. I couldn't manage my grief, and I had no guidance on how to cope, and I saw no way out. In fifth grade, he thought I was gaining weight. I really wasn't gaining much weight in retrospect. His solution was to tell me I was eating and drinking too much. Then he made me stand shirtless in front of my bedroom mirror and ridicule my appearance, calling me fat and other insults insults about my physical appearance. My mom stood by in the room and said nothing to stop him. I still can't look at myself in the mirror without crying. If he thought I was interested in a girl, he made fun of me. I learned quickly that I couldn't tell my parents anything. When it came to dating, I had to literally learn everything on my own. I didn't know how to talk to girls. I had no self-esteem and I hated my physical appearance other than friend dates to prom i didn't go on a date or even get my first kiss until college i was terrified because i had no idea what to do and everyone else did dating to this day is still terrifying for me so i avoid romantic relationships at all costs my now ex-wife helped me a little when we were together but then shredded any progress to pieces when she cheated on me lied about it even though i had evidence i caught her planning meetups and then left me She told me at couples therapy that she never had any real passion for me. It was at this point when I lost all trust in romantic partners. After I moved into my brother's basement, I tried to overdose on my bipolar medication, but it didn't work. I woke up to the police in the house doing a welfare check. My dad finally admitted what he did and apologized for it three weeks before he died of ALS in 2016. I got some closure, but I can't help feeling like I got cheated out of a father. It leaves me a 39-year-old wreck of a man. I feel my dad's rage inside me when people upset me. Physical altercations give me flashbacks and have triggered violent responses in the past. So I avoid arguments and conflict whenever possible. I've decided to not ever have children. I don't want anyone else to feel what I felt. And I'm afraid his evil will come out if I have kids. I can't allow that. Hopefully it just dies with me. I feel like that story is absolutely heartbreaking. Like I can't imagine like dealing with that stuff as a kid. It sounded like... You know, he really went through the ringer on so many different levels. Um, he is in therapy now to work on his issues and uh, is working on vulnerability and, and trusting people again. So that's part of why he wanted to share his story with us. He wrote a follow-up email about his coping strategy for everything. And he said that his most common coping strategy for For his anxiety and his anger is avoidance. He avoids all situations that could trigger anger or conflict. That generally means avoiding strangers, and he tries to stay home whenever possible. For his depression, he has a very small circle of local friends he visits when he feels lonely. The anxiety makes him hide inside, and hiding inside ultimately makes him lonely, which makes him depressed. So he tries to socialize with those friends to make him happy again. He said that as he was writing this out, he realized that his coping strategies are kind of shit. He said that he thinks the most useful technique with some basis in science is mindfulness, and he can track his moods and his reaction to different stimuli. If he can convince himself that his brain is just lying to him and it's not actually reality, he can stop a negative spiral before it builds any real momentum. And he mentioned that that doesn't always work, but it does help. I'm glad he mentioned that he kind of realized that those are not the best coping strategies that he mentioned in the beginning. I do the same thing with anger and any negative emotion is I either avoid things that will make me feel those things or I just avoid expressing those emotions and that's ultimately not the healthiest route. The healthiest route is to find a healthy way to express those, but if he feels like His anger is dangerous. I could see why he would want to avoid a situation where he might, you know, go into a quote unquote episode and actually hurt somebody or do something that he would really regret.
1: Thank you very much for sharing that. That was extremely vulnerable and we really appreciate it. I'm glad you're going through therapy and trying to overcome and recover from that as well.
0: And and for what it's worth, I don't know you on a personal face-to-face daily interaction kind of level, but it seems to me like you are leaps and bounds from, you know, where your father was and, you know, are doing your part to break the cycle that, you know, he did not. Okay, guys, so this episode is running a little bit longer than we had anticipated, so we are going to stop it here. So next week, we're going to post the rest of the episode, which will be about effects of trauma on the brain and body and treatment options for people with trauma. I believe Cassie has a big announcement to make. Yeah, we have
1: a winner for our, for our first giveaway that we did kind of in honor of Thanksgiving. So our winner... Is Jessica Marie Ackenbach? Yay! Congratulations, Yay, Jessica! Congratulations! Yes, we are so happy. She will
0: be receiving Brene Brown's new book and a coffee cup and a tote from us.
1: Yes. So, Brene Brown's book releases on the 30th. So, I will deliver those to her shortly afterwards. All right. But, congratulations, Jessica. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. We do have a few bright spots this week. Andy says that he's got two bright spots. He says, I've gotten to spend a lot more time with Boba this week. That's his beautiful golden retriever. Because my roommate is out of town for a business trip, we've been watching movies. After work in the living room all week. Aww. And his second one was that the shirts he ordered for himself as a little treat yourself moment finally arrived yesterday after they'd previously been told by USPS that the package was lost in transit from China for more than a month. So wow. that's one of those things that always feels good to finally fucking receive.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes, I love that.
0: And then Sherea's bright spot was that she got to visit a good friend for a couple of nights. I was that friend, guys. It was me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Lucky. Lucky her. Amber, her bright spot is she received a $5 bonus for a good review, mentioning her by name at work. So woohoo. I love that. Yeah. Lorianne, her bright spot is I had enough motivation to clean my kitchen. Downside, you can't tell I cleaned it now. I know that feeling all too well.
0: (laughs) I know that feeling so well. (laughs)
1: Especially when you have kids. Although I like to blame it on my kids a lot, but really it's probably mostly me. (laughs) It's
0: it's at least 50-50 around here. Yeah, yeah, for real. Our last one is from Paige. She says that she completely finished her nursing school clinicals today and now just has some classes left. So that is amazing. I just want to give an additional shout out that Paige is my... I've always called them second cousins. I think it's technically first cousin once removed. She's my cousin's kid. And (laughs) I just want to say how proud I am of the adult that she's become. Like, I see her posting on Facebook about these societal issues and I'm really proud of her stance on things. I know how hard it is to grow up where we grew up and have a not a quote-unquote conservative point of view, so... I'm proud of you, Paige. Close Keep it nine. up. Exactly. Yay. Exactly. <laughs> so, we will catch you guys next week. And by that, we do literally mean that the, I know we're doing every two weeks now, but since this was a surprise two part episode, we will be posting that episode on December 6th instead of the 13th. So, we will catch you guys then. And I hope you guys enjoyed Thanksgiving and have a great week.
1: Have a great week. <laughs>